I know, I also wanted to say happy Mother's Day. Uh, so happy Mother's Day. Uh, I also want to just say, we said this kind of in the prayer, but we know that, that Mother's Day is a day for many that is one full of great joy, and for others uh, it can be a, a stressful day or a, a day of strain. We know that there are some who won't even come to worship uh, on Mother's Day, um, sometimes because of the loss of their mom perhaps or not um, struggling with being able to become a mother or the loss of a child. There's lots of different reasons why, but my hope and my prayer today is that, is that in this time that you feel welcomed and that you feel the peace of Christ wherever you are on this Mother's Day. And so with that, sisters and brothers, I want us to take a look this morning at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 35 through 46. Let's hear what John has to say. He says, the next day John, and in this case that's John the Baptist, was standing again with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. And he brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are called to be Cephas, or you are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we give you praise on this day. We pray, Lord, that just as you spoke to your disciples 2,000 years ago, that you would speak to us on this day. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So this week, I, uh, I started, as I started on the sermon, um, I began to annoy myself very quickly. Now, I don't know if you annoy yourself ever. I annoy myself oftentimes. I know I annoy others as well. But sometimes, you know, you're just like, ah. And the reason why I was annoying myself was because of the fact that I realized that I was being very redundant. Um, and, and, and so I was sticking through that. And I realized that one of the things that happens, of course, is, is, that, is that as a preacher, I am redundant a, a fair amount of times. So I was thinking, well, why is that the case? Well, there's probably three different reasons why that's the case. The first reason is because of the fact that they always teach us, and every teacher is usually taught this as well, that you have to keep repeating yourself or nobody will remember what it is that you have tried to say. It takes a lot of time for us to hear things again and again and again and again. And just about the time when you are like, oh, please, I, ha I had to say this again, you should probably say it one more 
time, right? Which is, which is what I, I, which is, this is just kind of the life. So that's one reason. Another reason why I'm frequently redundant is because of the fact that we've done a little bit of digging this. I've told you this before, but about one or, or 60% of the time, 60% of our ZPCers, I should say, come one out of three Sundays. Which, now, obviously none of you, because you're all here today, but what that means is that even when I preach something, if I, if I say something and then I say the same thing the next week, the next week, guess what? You know what? Still, there will be a significant amount of people who still would not have heard it yet, right? Now, we could kind of go off, but I'm not here to make you feel guilty this morning. We'll do that next Sunday, right? So um, that's the second reason. The third reason, uh, the third reason I realized why it is that I frequently am kind of always being a bit redundant is because of the simple fact and I've said this to you all before, but every preacher has one sermon. And he or she just figures out about 500 different ways to say the exact same thing, right? It's kind of a spiritual gift, really, just to figure out what is a different way for me to say the same thing. And so I leave all of that up. This is kind of an announcement from the Department of Redundancy Department, which is just to say, you guys, I really like that one. No one else seems to like that. Just to say this which is that I'm about to repeat myself again. So I want to prepare you. Are you ready? Okay. So we've been talking about discipleship, right? And we've been talking about discipleship since the fall. And what have we been saying? There are two main prongs that we are suggesting about discipleship. The first is this, that it means being shaped more like Jesus. This is why you keep repeating things. They're being shaped more like Jesus. And then the second prong is that we are building for God's kingdom, right? And, and, and again, we're not making this stuff up because it sounds good. This is coming out of actual scripture, right? Second Corinthians 3, our lives are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters into them and we become more like him, right? The Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe very strongly that to be a disciple means that we are being shaped more like Jesus and that we are building for God's kingdom. Now that's good, and that's great, but most of us have probably been a part of a company, a business, or a church, or even a family who likes to say, this is what we're about. This is what we believe. This is what we value. And maybe they put it up on a website, they put it up on a wall, they say it all the time, and yet you realize that their lives actually look very different than what they say they value. The business may say this is what's important to us, but in reality what is important is something very different, right? Has anyone ever been a part of a, thank you, what, what you just clap? <laughs> I like that, Misty. So, so I've been thinking about that. Here's the thing. Most of us have this tendency, it seems to me, and myself included, I was thinking about it, about myself a lot, where I think if I feel something strongly enough, if I want something badly enough, that it will just sort of begin to happen. Right? I think about this a lot when it comes to my physical body as well as our fiscal bodies, right? I, and Meg and I, we've, we've been talking about this over the last several months. We, you know, we, we want to save money, right? I just got back from this kind of board of pensions meeting for a couple of days, and, and they were talking about a lot of business folks were talking about how um, they have a lot of their people who are in their 60s, and they're about to retire, and that commonly they're like, oh, we wish we would have saved more. We should have saved more. And, and so Meg and I are like, okay, well, we've got to save. And so we feel like we're not overly extravagant in our, in our vacations or our vehicles, you know. Um, um, but here's what we also realize is that, is that, is that 
that we make this certain amount of money and we feel like we're spending this amount of money. But at the end of every month, when we look back, we realize we spent this amount of money. And we don't get it, honestly, because it's like, no, we feel like we've been pretty, you know, we, we've not spent much. And so we did this financial peace uh, university class. I told you about that. And you know, whenever you talk to one of these finance people, you know, the first thing they almost always say is, write out a budget, right? Boring, right? It's a nightmare. Everyone hates writing out a budget, right? No, here's the thing. So we did it, right? We had this app and we put it all in there, right? And we did it and, and it was incredible what we discovered, right? The first thing we realized is we had to get rid of two of the kids. <laughs> just, we just couldn't do it. Should have stopped at two. You who stopped at two, you know what you're doing, right? So anyways, so that's the first thing. But, but, but secondly, we began to realize, and it didn't mean that it was easy, but all of a sudden, when we got to the end of the month, because we had really been paying attention and we had really put in certain steps, amazingly enough, this is not rocket science, but it's real, amazingly enough, we had enough money. We were even able to put, you know, a little bit of a side for what we wanted it to go. It was incredible. Now, this is not mind-blowing stuff. But what it is, is saying, if you really want to be in a particular place, you can't just hope it or feel it. You have to actually put in the hard work of saying, what is it going to take to get to that place? And so that's why we're talking about right now, okay, we can't just say we want to be shaped like Jesus. We want to build for God's kingdom. How do you actually do it? How do you actually get there? So last week, we talked about the foundational way is through relationships. You do it through relationships. This is what Jesus teaches us, right? If we want to be shaped more like Jesus, then we need to be in relationship with Jesus. We need to spend time with Jesus. The more we do so, the more we look like him. The, the other thing, and we, and we kind of ran out of time. I didn't get to talk about it as much as I wanted to, was how do you build for God's kingdom, right? How do we change the community and the world around us? And a lot of times you think, oh, if we just give them enough money or give them enough knowledge. And those things are important, but, but, but really at the foundation, you have to begin to develop relationships with others, right? And so, so we talked about that. And if you want to go back and listen to that, if you weren't here last week, uh, you guys all were. But if you know somebody who wasn't, then, then have them kind of go back and kind of hear some of that. I can't go over it too much more. But, but here, as good followers of Jesus, after hearing what I just said, what your question or what you should say to me is, well, that's great that it's through relationships, Jerry, but relationships don't just happen. You can't just kind of show up and all of a sudden you have a relationship with Jesus or you have a relationship with someone else. No, no, no. You have to actually do something. And what we're talking about this morning is this. If you want to have relationship, it begins by being someone who invites others into relationship. In other words, at the foundation, in order to have a relationship with someone, you have to invite them. You have to be invitational. Okay? And why do we know this? Well, we see it, of course, let me begin by saying with Jesus Christ himself. Jesus didn't just kind of send a note from far away in heaven and say, hey, you guys, you know, let me invite you into relationship. Jesus actually came right where we were, right, on to earth in order to begin relationships. So first and foremost, we know that we are invited into relationship with Jesus. But now here's the thing. Jesus did more than just show up on earth. 
It takes more than just kind of being there in order to actually be invitational. And that's critical for us to understand. I, I love what, well, let me, let me say this. In this particular, what, what does Jesus do? Let's look at this passage. There's Jesus, and he's just kind of walking along, right? And all of a sudden, we're told that Jesus turns. And what does he do? He sees that two people were following him. Now, this is, this is deep. Get ready to write this down. The very first step, this is critical, the very first step to being invitational, to being inviting, are you ready? It is to notice people. Why are you not writing this down, Kim? It is to notice people. It is to see people. In this passage, and a little bit ahead of this, I want you to hear this. In verses 29, 32, 33, 34, 36, 38, and 42, I asked our Greek scholar, Stan, wherever you are, is this true? It is true. In all of those, there is some form of the verb to see. The very first thing when it comes to being inviting is to begin to actually notice what is going on around you. I love what it says here. John the Baptist, he's there, he's just kind of hanging out. And it says, as he watched Jesus walk by. In other words, John the Baptist noticed Jesus walking by, which makes me wonder how frequently do we not notice or do we not see Jesus who is walking by? See, I think that daily Jesus is inviting us into deeper relationship with him. I think that daily Jesus is inviting us to be a part of what he is doing on earth. But far too often we simply do not see it. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe we're too stressed. Maybe we're angry at God. It can be lots of different reasons. That's a part of the reason why, again, because I don't want to just say, come on, just go out there and notice Jesus. Why we do this practice that I've talked about before of the daily exam. And what is a daily exam? An ancient practice of stopping, maybe at lunchtime, maybe at dinner, maybe before you go to bed, and just creating space to say, where have I seen Jesus today? Where has he invited me? Maybe I missed it. Maybe I saw it. And to create space to do so. Because far too many of us, I have a sneaking suspicion, Jesus may very well be walking by and we completely miss him. Now here's the other part of this. And you guys know this is what I believe. But I think that with great regularity, we do not notice or see the people around us who very well may be yearning for relationship, may be yearning for an invitation, but we do not see them. Over the last several, several months ago, I read a book called Subterranean. And it was talking about this, and it said that, you know what happens is a lot of times we are like furniture. That we are there, but we're not actually present. Right? It's like we're a sofa. Right? And the sofa is there. There's no question. You're there. But the sofa's not actually doing anything to engage with anybody. It's just, it's not trick. It's just a sofa. Right? It's just an end table. It's just a coffee table. And the question is, how do you move from there to actually being present right where you are? You know, the example that I give always is the, is the example of, of, of me and, and our living room and our children. 
right? And, and if I'm there, I am oftentimes a sofa. My kids will be there, but you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing a TV, and you know what that TV's doing? It is beckoning me to escape, right? Or I see a, I see a computer, and it's saying, there's work. Come here. I see a cell phone. Who doesn't see a cell phone and say, I bet you if I scrolled through that, it would be awesome right now. I see a trash that needs to be overflowing, you know, and, and needs me to take it out. I will get to it. I see it, right? And, and because of that, my children who are there, right, and you can tell, I mean, and, and, and kids, this is the thing, they, will, they are always inviting you to do something, right? And especially little kids, right? I know as it gets older, it changes, but little kids, they always are wanting you. But I am like a sofa as I see everything else. And the only thing that drops me out of that, the only thing that keeps me from that is if I go to their bedroom, if we go out for a walk, if I play a card game with them, then all of a sudden I go from being an end table to being invitational. And in that moment, all of a sudden, and you can see it in the kids, they become excited. They become more engaged. They become more inviting as well. And all of a sudden, everything changes, but it won't just happen. It's not like my relationship with my children will just naturally begin to deepen. I have to see them and be present and engaged with them. That invites a deepening of relationship. So we can't just be end tables. We have to be invitational. But now, here's what happens. Jesus notices them. And do you see what what occurs? When Jesus notices those two disciples, he turns to them. And he doesn't say hi. He he doesn't just say, follow me. And both of those things are fine and they're very inviting. But what does Jesus do? Jesus says this to them. What are you looking for? Now, that's an incredible Statement. What are you looking for? And we could probably kind of delve into that for a while, but I don't want to do that this morning too much. But what I do want to point out is this, that what Jesus is doing is he is simply asking a question. Now, I want to say this again. I realize you may be thinking, this is really elementary, Jerry, but I want you to know this. I think far too many of us are not interested and never asking questions of somebody else. We are much more interested in telling people everything about us. And one of the most incredible ways for you to enter into relationships with others or to deepen it is to begin by asking questions. Now, I want to say something here, but I want to begin with a brief caveat. So here's a brief caveat. You guys know this. I am really bad at a lot of things. Okay, thank you. I can't grill. I don't understand how a car works. Honestly, it's just like magic. You turn something, it turns, it makes no sense to me how a car works, right? Uh, I can't do anything out in the lawn. I'm horrible at that. I can't draw to save my life. I am way too competitive. This week, this is a true story. And Monday, I had to go to an eye doctor. And I went to the eye doctor. And I am telling you what, all of a sudden, my competitive juices just begin to flare Right? So that when that first thing comes up, I'm like, why are you wasting my time with that E? Let's go right down to the bottom, right? In fact, I was so, and I, was, I wasn't trying to reveal this, but I was so like this. He was like, well, I can tell you're from Zionsville. You're really competitive. And I'm like, look, I mean, how stupid is that? That I'm like so like competitive. It's an eye exam. No glasses. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Bygones. 
here's the thing. I'm really bad at a lot of things. And I'm saying all those things so that then you can invite me to say one thing that I'm kind of good at. Is that good? Can I say one kind of thing? Okay. Just one thing. I'm pretty good at asking questions. And I don't know for sure why. I think, you know, I'm kind of curious. My mother was a counselor, which means that she was always asking questions, right? So it just kind of framed me, right? I think we've talked about this. I played the un-game. Oh, what a horrible game. Nobody wins. That's no game at all. But also, I I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago, and and they were talking to the CEO, a former CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and and she was talking about uh, leadership and stuff. And and she was also, like me, she'd been raised in a military family. And she said, here's one of the things. This is, this is really kind of, I don't know, interesting to me. She said, she goes, I, I learned very early on how to ask questions. And she said, the reason why I learned how to ask questions is because I knew that I needed to develop friendships. Because when you move someplace, you're only there for a couple of years, and then you're moving on. And if you don't quickly begin relationships, then you will never have friends. And so what she learned is that the way to quickly develop relationships is to begin to ask questions. People love to talk about themselves, do they not? They totally do, right? Most of us love to do that. And when you begin to engage in conversation, when you begin to ask simple questions, I am here to say it changes the dynamic. Now, sometimes people are like, well, we don't know what questions to ask. And, you know, we talk a lot about going to the gathering space and talking to people and say, well, we don't really know what to talk about. So let me just give you, I'm going to get so practical here. What might we say? How do, start with asking questions so that when you're in the gathering space, sometimes people are like, well, you know, we don't know if people are really visiting or not. And we don't want to make fools of ourselves. So ask a question like this. How long have you been at ZPC? There is no wrong answer. First Sunday or 30 years, and you have not made a fool of yourself by asking that question, right? Right? Where are you from? Did you like the donuts? Right? What's your vocation? These are all very simple questions, right? Just asking questions. And why do we do that? Because what we're doing is, A, and hopefully you're really interested in these people too, right? Don't be like you're just asking the question so that you could then, you know, like, hey, have you ever been to Iceland? Oh, you know what? I have. And let me tell you all the things about it, right? <laughs> no, that's, don't be Mr. Annoying. That's no fun, right? So, no, but you can actually ask this because you're looking for common points of connection, right? You're looking for those common points of connection because people like to be connected again as we said last week this is how we were created from the very beginning we were created to be in relationship and if we as christians could begin to learn how to ask questions and engage we would become more and more inviting and you might be surprised at how people want to talk about themselves but even more to talk about deeper things to begin to talk about what it is that they are actually looking for There are far too many of us who think that the people around us are completely content and aren't looking for anything. My guess is we might be surprised when we begin to simply do some digging. Now, here's what you also might be saying. Well, you know, because I hear this. There are a lot of people who just want to be left alone. 
They don't want to be in relationship. They just want to be, you know, they just, they, they don't want to be talked to. They don't want to have any questions asked of them. And you know what? That is absolutely true. But here's the thing. It has always been true. Did you see it in this scripture passage? In this very short kind of passage, what do we see? We see two disciples and they're following Jesus. They don't know Jesus from anybody. And when Jesus says, hey, come and see, come follow me. They're like, all right, let's do it. That's weird, Right? But they were very overly eager. So you have people like that. You have Simon Peter, right, who, who only came because his brother came, someone he trusted. That makes sense. Hey, I trust you, and you want me to come follow Jesus? Okay, we'll do that. And then you, of course, have Nathaniel, right? And he gives this kind of classic line, right, when, when they say, hey, we think we found the Messiah. Oh, yeah? And he's like, you know, oh, yeah, he's from Nazareth. And he's like, what? There's a bunch of yahoos from Nazareth. There's no way, right? And you have that skepticism. That is the reality. And so here's the great thing about invitation. It is not coercive. You are not responsible if people don't want to be in relationship with you or if they don't want to be in relationship with Jesus. That is not your responsibility. All you are asked to do is to invite, is to be present, is to ask questions. And if they don't, don't go chasing after them. That's just weird. Don't do that. Let them go. But always be open. Right? This is part of our call. Now, here's the thing. One of the most inviting things that Jesus does, I hope that you hear this, is that he says this, and it's great because you can already see that Philip, the disciple, begins to learn it as well, which is that he says these three simple words. Come and see. Come and see. See, what Jesus didn't do is he didn't begin to just tell him, well, this is everything about who I am and here's what you'll have to understand. This is not just hearsay. He wants you to come and to experience what it is like to follow him. And see, this is what actually inviting people is doing, is you are inviting them to come and see what is this like to be a follower of Jesus or what is it like to be a part of the Deck family. This is what I was thinking about. Last week, you know, I mentioned that if you don't believe that family is chaotic, then come to our house for dinner and you will see just how chaotic, you know, it can be. And that's absolutely true. So this week I was thinking about that even more so. And I realized that in many ways, when we invite somebody into our home, we are really inviting them to come and see what it's like. What is it like to be a deck, right? And, and, and some people, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting experience. And some people think it's great. Some people think it's a nightmare. That's fine. But, but it's still just who we are, right? And so we're inviting them. So, so some of you, many of you, we've had over into our house. And so you can tell me if you disagree with this, but this is oftentimes what happens, which is that if we invite you into our home and we, you know, if we haven't invited you and you want to come, just let us know, give us a, a wee bit of notice. But, 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 but by we, I mean like a week. But so, so, what happens is you're going to come over. And guess what? When you get there, more than likely, we will have vacuumed and swept. Okay? Now, we do that because we want, it, we want you to know that we were preparing for you, right? One of the great things is when you want to be in relationship with someone, it tells them that they are important to you. Right? And so we want to, we, we will put in a few leaves if we need to on our, on our table so that you know that there's enough space for you. There's a chair. There should be a chair for everybody. Right? Now, it's not going to be pristine. We don't live in a museum. This is an actually lived-in household. If you look at all, you'll see some scratches in the table. You'll see some things in the hardwood, right? You'll see stains on the sofa. This is just, it's frustrating. But it, this is just what it is, right? It's not going to be perfect because we live in this place. 
But when you get there, we'll be like, hey, you want something to drink? Can we get you something to drink? And, and we will begin to ask you questions probably, right? Because that's what we want to do. We, wanna, we want you to know we're actually interested in you. It's very easy. The girls, you know, girl, you know, kids, they'll, they'll, they'll be trying to show off a little bit. And, and maybe they'll have done a color picture for you, you know. And, and then we, we probably won't be ready for dinner quite yet because we're not usually just ready. And, and so everyone has a role. This is the way it is in the decks, right? You have a role. You get some silverware. You get the napkins. You get the waters. Um, um, I eat. This is kind of the way that these things go. Right? But we all have a role. And then we all come and we sit down. And then we do a prayer. Now, I realize this is a pastor's house, so the prayer should probably be incredibly theologically deep and rich. But here's the prayer, right? It's a sung prayer. You may, you, may, you know it. God, our Father, God, our Father, we thank you, we thank you for our many blessings, for our many blessings. Amen, amen. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. It's just a prayer. Right? But it's this thing that we have sung and we know it. And at that point, then we usually go around and we say, well, how was your day? And we go around and we tell them. And the kids know it's even Lisa, our four-year-old now. I mean, she's usually like, how's your day, Winnie? And she'll go around and it's great, you know. And it's a little bit chaotic, to be sure. But we do that. Now, sometimes we even break out the joy journal, right? And the joy journal is this journal that says, this is what you're thankful for. I also like to think about it as saying, this is where we've seen Jesus walk by. Now, i got to be honest with you. We used to be really good at going after that. Nowadays, when we open it up, it's like, you know, and the dust is just flying. So, so you may not get into that particular part. But now, here's what else I want you to know happens when you come over. Which is that there's a really good shot, 50-50 at least, that you are going to have water in your lap. Because I'm telling you, we cannot make it through one meal without a kid hitting a cup and having water go everywhere. Right? I don't know why that is. I'm like, well, just move the cup away from the table. I don't say it just like that, right? They're more than likely... More than likely, voices are going to be raised at some point by us as we're like, you know, get your legs underneath the table, be human, act normal, right? Sometimes we have to say, use a fork. Sometimes we say, you know, you're not a dog. Don't just dig it. You know, we, we have these kind of moments. There are times when Megan and I, we may get trouble because we may have the phone at the table. It's a big no-no, right? But sometimes we do, and the kids are more than happy to get on to us as soon as we do that, right? I mean, we have all these other things. There's a good chance the pasta may be a little bit uncooked. I'm in charge now of testing the pasta because Megan can't have anything with gluten, and so I do it. I have no idea if it's ready or not, and so I spend half the time just throwing it up against the wall. It never sticks. So I don't know how that works, but that's on me, you know. So you're going to have all those things. Here's what, I'm, here's what I'm saying to you. When you come to the deck household, more than likely what you're going to find is you're going to find a family that is trying. You know, you're going to find a family that is really, that, that is trying to say, okay, well, what does it look like for us to love each other? You're going to find a family that say, okay, what does it look like? How do we look like if we, if we love Jesus, if we look like Jesus? How do we do that? And you're going to find a family who gets it wrong all the time. You're going to find a family that, that yells at times. You're going to find a family that, that's fighting with one another. You're going to find a family that has absolute messes. You're going to find both of those things. But here's what I want you to know. I think there is nothing that is more invitational. I love being invited over into someone's house or into someone's life who can be so vulnerable as saying, look, we're trying, but we get it wrong all the time. There is nothing more inviting. Nobody wants to go to the house of the person whose everything is perfect. Do you? That's a nightmare. But you also don't want to go over to someone's house who's just like, no, everything is just horrible all the time. We're not living for anything more than ourselves. That's not good either. 
And what I am suggesting is in our society, and you guys know I believe this, but in our society where we do so much to hide every imperfection, every sin, every brokenness, in our society to do that, to invite someone into your house, to invite someone into this church building, to invite someone into a relationship with Jesus, to say, look, we believe these things, but we are not always perfect at getting there, is incredibly invitational. But it will not happen by us just hoping that we can get there. I would love to tell you, is it exciting and fancy? But it is like this. It is about being present and looking for people around you who very well want to be in relationship. It is about asking questions. What if this week, when you went out, rather than sharing everything about yourself, you said, I'm going to take two or three questions. Every person I meet, I'm going to ask two or three questions before I say anything about me. And then I'm going to pay attention. Or what if we simply said this week, we're going to invite one person to come and to see. One person. What difference might that make in our lives and in the lives of those around us? What difference would it make if we were willing to do more than just talk about relationships, more than just talk about discipleship, but ask what steps we can take to genuinely invite others into relationship. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this morning and the simple reality that you have called us to do more than hope to be disciples, but to actually engage in true discipleship living. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to know what it means to be inviting, to take those simple, practical, but difficult steps of actively engaging with those around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.